Once there was a perfect garden. What makes a place perfect? In this garden, there was no fear. There was no violence. There was no shame. The people living there could be exactly who they were made to be without hiding themselves. There was no death, no mourning or pain. In this garden were beautiful, unspoiled plants and creatures. There was freedom and creativity. There was joy and perfect peace. But none of these things made the garden perfect. These were just signs, results of what actually made the garden perfect. The perfection itself was in the presence of the Lord God. In this garden, God walked alongside the people in the cool of the day. God's presence was life. God's presence was peace. God's home was with the people. Who can understand it? But they didn't have to. They were free from the burden of understanding and analyzing everything because they lived in this perfection. But one day, this perfect age came to an end. Humanity left this perfect place and the presence of God behind. Can we ever return? Is there a perfect place to return to? Is this all metaphor or dream or wishful thinking? Or is it the key to our past, present, and future? This is the beginning of our story. We often read the Bible in pieces, looking for some proof that Jesus is the best and most correct God, and ours is the best and most correct sect. Or we look through the Bible for rules and regulations. I'll get to that later. But at core, we're not a sect or we're not in an institution or in a club. At core, we're in a story. And every page of that story should lead us to ask one question. What does God do next? When Adam and Eve left the garden, humanity got right down to work, hammering their plowshares into swords, tearing others down, building themselves up, worshiping violence and exploitation and rage. With God's presence now gone, the world was a very dark place. You can read just how dark it got in Genesis chapters 3 through 11. But then God's plan was set into motion. God's presence once again appeared to humans. God's presence appeared to Abram in the form of a flaming torch passing along the messy, dirty, wounded ground. The Lord God come to call a family, bringing the perfect presence to the imperfect world. Who can understand it? Sometime later, that family, the Hebrews, were enslaved and far from home. So the question always is, what does God do next? Well, God was not limited to one spot in the world, so God went right down to Egypt and with mighty wonders set the people free. Then God told the people, make a tent for me to live in right next to your tents. So I can live with you. Who can comprehend it? Once the people settled down, they had had enough of tents. And then a temple was built, a majestic home for God to live in. 
gold and silver and gemstones, worship and sacrifice and laws, but these things were just signs. What made the temple perfect was the presence of God. People traveled from all around to experience God's presence. These people believed that heaven and earth were not so far away from each other. And in the temple, heaven and earth interlocked. The veil between earth and God's kingdom was thin and permeable right here. The earth was the Lord's and everything in it, but the Lord God chose to live in a structure built by human hands. Who can imagine it? But the people did not want perfection. They wanted power. So they placed their hope in human kings who caused ruin. Kings who oppressed the weak and exploited the poor. Leaders who made the temple into a den of robbers and used the Lord's name in vain and rinsed their blood-soaked hands with religion. The people were ruined, captured, led into exile far from home and far from the presence of God. And it came to pass when the people were returned from exile, they were returned in body, but their hearts still felt far from God. There was still so much pain and angst. They were occupied and oppressed by foreign powers. The kingdom of God and the presence of God felt far away. There were no thin places between heaven and earth. People traveled to the temple, observed the laws, but they learned the meaning of the phrase, you can't go home again. They made pilgrimages to an empty temple, God's presence gone. Who can bear it? Some groups, like the Pharisees, tried to find the formula for God's presence. If we do the sacrifices well, if we observe the Sabbath, if we get all the details right, our spiritual exile will end. But it didn't work. So our question is, what does God do next? This is the world Jesus was born into. This longing and nostalgia were beating just beneath the surface of all the suffering of God's people. They longed for the end of exile and the return of the presence. And it's so sympathetic. I think we've all known the desire to feel closer to God by getting the formula right. I feel far from God, but maybe if I journal or pray more, or maybe if I have the right doctrines, or maybe if I identify who the enemies are, maybe then God will come close to me. But this is not what Jesus said about God's presence. Jesus said the kingdom of God is near. It's so close you can touch it. Some did reach out and touch and were healed. They had no idea how close the presence of God had come. Jesus himself was a walking, thin place between heaven and earth. The presence of God, ambulatory, on the loose, moving around. The people who had made the pilgrimage to be close to God now had God walking through their towns, sitting in their fishing boats, eating their food. Who can imagine it? 
and the people who couldn't make a pilgrimage, those who could never hope for God's presence, the women, the paralyzed, the foreigners, they had God walking among them too. Seeking them out, pulling them up by their hands and calling them family. Those who were previously cut out were now sought out. One of those strays was named Mary. She loved Jesus and she stayed with him even when the unthinkable happened. When Rome and the religious leaders conspired to snuff out the presence of God like a candle flame, Mary stayed with Jesus, mourned Jesus, and tried to give Jesus a proper burial. She went to a garden so unlike that perfect one long ago. She went to see an empty temple, God's presence gone. Who can bear it? But Mary was surprised. Instead of an empty temple, she found an empty tomb. Instead of a graveyard, she found a gardener, or so she thought. It was Jesus, the walking and talking presence of God, once dead but now alive forevermore. Mary wouldn't lose him again, this God who had walked up to her and loved her. So she grasped onto him. And he said, don't do that. I'm returning to the Father. And so she let him go. That's a lot of prelude to today's scripture. Have I given you a nosebleed yet over <laughs> several hundred years? This is because I want you to understand where we are and how God's people have always understood themselves. This is in one way a story about the presence of God and of the people who ask themselves, what does God do next? So what's so important about the ascension? Either you've asked this question or you've never thought about this, and in either case, it stands to reason that the ascension isn't something we usually talk about or celebrate. It sounds like a fancy word for something unimportant or even for something painful. The presence of God was here and then left. Like Mary, we want to grasp on, beg Jesus to stay. We may even ask, why would he leave? And why in the world would the church celebrate this and put it on the calendar? This only makes sense if we understand the story of the presence of God. Only if we understand the grief of exile. Only if we understand our desperate situation. See, Jesus, once dead, now alive forevermore, is indisputably good news, the best news. But the presence of God in one spot, in one person, is still limited. God wants much more than that. So what does God do next? Jesus, the walking thin place, the crack between heaven and earth, the presence of God among us, returned to the Father and was crowned ruler of the whole world. That's step one. God says one place in the world is not enough. I get the whole world. And one person isn't enough. I want all of them. What does God do next? God sends the Spirit 
living in each Christian. Every one of us who follows Jesus and puts our hope in him. The Bible says Jesus Christ is in us. The Bible says we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the presence of God, ambulatory, on the loose. Walking thin places, bringing the kingdom of heaven everywhere we go. There's no such thing as pilgrimages anymore. No more barriers, no more limits to the presence of God. Whatever gap a Christian can squeeze into, the presence of God can go. This is why we celebrate the Ascension. It's not abandonment. It's home. Within us. Around us. Sitting next to us. Standing, singing, and passing the peace with us. It's billions of thin places over thousands of years moving around, declaring that the kingdom of God is close enough to touch. When you think about acts of mercy, or praying with someone, or visiting the sick or imprisoned, remember that you're bringing with you the kingdom of God, the presence of God, the only hope of perfection in the world. It is no small thing that we gather together to worship God, but we're not entering into a sanctuary of God's presence. We're going out as God's presence into the world. We witness the good news of Jesus and we bring the Holy Spirit along. Who can understand it? When you wonder how to get closer to God, stop. It's not through more devotions or correct prayer or volunteerism or piety. It's not a formula. Church, the presence of God is within you. When you feel very spiritual or when you feel very depressed, when you rise up or when you lie down, the presence of God is with you when you perform and with you when you fail. Some days you may not feel close to God, but you are because he has drawn close to you. God has made a home with you. That was the plan all along. So we stand today at the culmination of an incredible story. It is a wonder as Christians that we're ever bored. Although I'll add, if you feel bored in church, you're still not far from God. (laughs) God has still come close to you. Keep asking, and the wonder continues. What does God do next? Well, God plans for nothing less than to bring heaven to earth, to dwell with us forever, and make the world perfect again. Someday, somehow, there will be a perfect garden. What makes a place perfect? We already know. Revelation 21 says... Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. If you have believed, like I have, that God's presence depends on your performance, put that away. That's not what the Bible says. If you have believed that heaven is a disembodied place of escape, put that away. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we have the presence of God within us. And that God will make everything right. And that we are poised at an exciting place in the most exciting story in all the world. So let's ask one another, today and every day, what does God do next?